Hello, and welcome to episode 98 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week we will be covering a true crime, a paranormal, and a cocktail from the state of Florida. Sunny Florida. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Oh, yes. Happy Valentine's Day. Not my favorite holiday, but happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, I don't think we really celebrate it. I got the boys a couple like little dinosaur Valentine things and nothing fancy. Lots of chocolate. That's that's really all I care that's, about is all the chocolate. All. <laughs> I think I've eaten my weight in Reese's hearts already. <laughs> so yes, happy Valentine's Day. This week I will be telling the true crime story and mom has the paranormal story and the beverage. What are we drinking this week? Well, it kind of goes with Valentine's. You know how I stretch things a little bit, but a little bit. (laughs) You know the song? If you like pina coladas, (laughs) getting caught in the rain. Sing it, Mom. If you're not into yoga. Oh, she really is singing it. And you've got half a brain. (laughs) That song? (laughs) Yes, I know that song. Well, that was my version of that song, but we are having a pina colada. Yay! I love pina coladas. Yes. So it is definitely a Florida drink because of the rum, you know, Bacardi rum. And we already covered that last time I did the paranormal in Florida. Yes, yes, you did. And we don't have Tom here to talk about mangoes. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. (laughs) So a little bit about the piña colada, which I didn't know, but it's translated from Spanish. Piña means pineapple and colada means strained. So put them together and you've got strained pineapple, (laughs) which is the beginning of this cocktail. (laughs) I actually had no idea. Okay. (laughs) Now I'll have to tell you that it is still freezing cold here so I did not put this in a blender and a lot of ice okay just telling you I put it in a shaker with me I put it in a shaker and I shook it all up man you were like in the singing mood tonight (laughs) (laughs) what's that song they put it shake it all up what's that song that put the lime in the coconut Coconut. (laughs) (laughs) okay boy so I took the easy route I apologize, but I did happen to have pineapple juice in the fridge. And then I had this real gourmet cream of coconut in the fridge, too. I didn't know I had these things, but I did. So (laughs) did not look at the expiration dates. We'll see what happens. Oh, gosh. And mom's refrigerator is known for being just basically all expired. (laughs) Not all expired. I do clear it out every now and then. Okay. This calls for, and I went by the directions on the real gourmet cream of coconut. What? This is like a gourmet pina colada. (laughs) Not really. It's uh, one and a fourth ounce of light rum. But of course, (laughs) I have to 
I have to up that. I can't measure without my glasses. Mom so it has a heavy hand when it comes to liquor. It's two ounces of rum and three ounces of pineapple juice and three ounces of this real gourmet coconut stuff. <laughs> the expired curdled coconut stuff. And I shook it all up and then I poured it in my little cup. <laughs> <laughs> my gosh this is what we're having tonight most people have had pina coladas so i don't have to really go into how it tastes but it tastes really good (laughs) (laughs) it's got that little twang of pineapple and then the sweetness of the coconut stuff gourmet coconut stuff (laughs) (laughs) yes and the nice little kick with the rum so there you go. A nice Delish. little kick with it being expired. And who knows what my stomach will be like tomorrow. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you enjoy that drink. Unfortunately, we are recording virtually still because mom has to quarantine from her Hawaii vacation. Such is life. I'm not sick. I'm not Such sick. Such is we're this just, life now. We're, we're playing it safe. Yes, playing it safe. I am drinking a glass of wine. So okay. I'm not. I'm not sober this episode. It's a nice mall back. You're not sober this episode. Okay. <laughs> so uh, hopefully we get through the episode. <laughs> well, no, I'm hoping that episode 99, especially episode 100, where we can do it together. Oh, we have to. And that's not this virtual stuff. Yeah, that's going to be mandatory. Well, because I'm drinking, mom, virtual cheers. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Okay, let's jump right in. So I am not a horror movie enthusiast. Horror movies have never been my thing. Uh, They used to be when I was younger, but the horror movies then were a lot tamer than they are nowadays. So, And Alex laughs at me all the time because here I am with a true crime and paranormal podcast, but you will never catch me watching movies like Paranormal Activity or Psycho. Not Psycho either? No, I can sit through a documentary about a a serial killer, but watching a movie on one just terrifies me. Oh, psychological dramas or thrillers are my favorite. I love them. I'll watch them, but they just really creep me out. I just the gory ones like oh, no. Saw and those things are not the conjuring. I think that kind mm-hmm. of stuff is not. Mm-mm, I don't do mm-mm. that. I can't. I can't. I watched Alex drug me to the theater to see the first one. I think even the second one. And I like literally like curl up in a fetal position in the theater chairs with my eyes covered and my ears covered I just can't do it that being said though when I was in the seventh grade my best friend at the time Kellen introduced me to the movie Scream a teen slasher film that first Mm. came out in 1996 with stars like Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette, the film was a hit, becoming the highest grossing slasher film in the world at the time. Wow. There have been five Scream movies, the most recent one being released just last month. Oh. No, I have not seen all of them. After seeing the first one, I kind of got the gist of the whole thing. <laughs> I am a huge Courtney Cox fan from Friends, so I think that's how my friend conned me into watching Scream to begin with, but I got the gist. I didn't have to watch the other ones. (laughs) Now, there's been a lot of buzz about this most recent installment to the Scream franchise. A lot of people were really excited about the movie, 
And with the excitement of the movie came a few articles that I actually became intrigued by. One article in particular caught my attention, stating that the writer of Scream, Kevin Williamson, got his inspiration for the script from a real serial killer. Oh. In 1994, he watched an episode of ABC's News Turning Point about a serial killer they called the Gainesville Ripper, a man who killed five college students in just about three days in 1990. He actually killed eight people total in the span of about 10 months. Wow. This story piqued his interest and spiked his storyline for the movie Scream. No, the movie is not identical to the killings of the Gainesville Ripper, but in my opinion, the Gainesville Ripper was much, much worse. For this episode, I need to give fair warning. This true crime is rather gruesome. I'm going to avoid the more gruesome details of the murders, but by even doing that, this is just, it's just truly a gruesome story. Okay. There's mutilation, rape, child abuse. There's a lot. Oh, good grief. Okay. So just a warning for our listeners of the explicit content. Gainesville, Florida. Smack dab in the middle of Florida. It's a college town. The University of Florida is there. Gainesville looks beautiful from the photos I saw with old historic buildings. There's no skyscrapers. It's all surrounded by thick, lush forest Actually, according to a 1989 article in Money Magazine, it was listed as the 13th best place to live. Oh. That all changed within like six months of that article being published. Uh, Of course it did. Like I said, Gainesville is a college town. Slower paced during the summer with the students gone. But come August, as classes are getting ready to start and the students start trickling into town, Gainesville gets busy and exciting with all the college excitement of the new school year, football starting, all of it. And this is when our story starts. The 1990 school year is just about to start. The excitement of a new semester is in the air. Gator football season and Fleetwood Mac was set to perform at the homecoming. (laughs) Sonia Larson and Christina Powell were freshmen that August, and they were so excited to start their next chapter. Dorms had been filled quickly, so the two were moving into an apartment together. The girls had met that summer taking some courses, and they found a nice two-bedroom apartment near campus. Like I said, the girls were excited. Christina, who went by Christy, was a young college freshman of just 17. She came from a large family, and she was all gator all the time, ever Mm -hmm. since her acceptance. She had a lot of pep and a beautiful smile. Sonia, who was 18, was a little more soft-spoken. She was very close to her mother and planned to work with young kids. The two had just moved in that Saturday following their move in August 25th. Christy's older sister and brother-in-law were bringing some furniture over to the girls. Okay. When they arrived at the apartment, there was no answer when they knocked. And there were sticky notes on the front door from friends saying like, hey, we went out over here or we're here at this time and stuff like that. Now, I mean, the girls had just moved in. They didn't even have a phone line hooked up yet. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously before cell phones. So people were just leaving like sticky notes like we're at this person's house or we're at this bar and like writing what time it is. That was our text messaging. It's crazy to me. (laughs) Obviously, I understand. It's just so weird to think about that. 
so they had moved in that Friday, maybe Thursday or Friday. So these notes were from Friday night. Saturday, Christy's older sister and brother-in-law are showing up with furniture and their sticky notes still on the door and there's nobody answering the door. Okay. They stick around for a while thinking like maybe the girls had gone out to meet their friends and maybe they just aren't back yet or whatever. But there was no sign of the girls. So they called the Powells, Christy's mom and dad, and told them like, we can't get into the apartment. We haven't seen the girls. And we have a truck full of furniture. What do we do? Yeah. The Powells call the apartment complex and then they end up actually starting to drive to campus. And they lived in Jacksonville, which is about an hour away. So by the time the parents arrive at the apartment, the manager of the apartment complex had gotten a hold of the maintenance man. And they actually ended up calling the police. They didn't want to go into the apartment without a police like escort. Sure. Good idea. The maintenance man opens the apartment door and he walks inside first. He's followed by the apartment manager. And then behind them is two police officers. And behind them is Mr. and Mrs. Powell. Okay. Soon after walking in, the maintenance man yells, oh, God, oh, God, and runs out of the complex and he gets sick. And remember, the parents are basically right behind him. Both girls lay dead in the apartment. And the scene, well, police and detectives to this day are haunted by the crime scenes from this killer. Detectives were called right away. Christy lay deceased downstairs in the living room. She had been stabbed to death, raped, and her breasts had been mutilated. Sonia's body was found on her waterbed. She had also been stabbed to death and raped. Her crime scene was a little different. She had more stab wounds covering her arms and her torso. She had put up quite a fight. And she was laying posed in a very lewd position with her feet on the floor, laying back on the bed, naked, with her hair fanned out behind her. Hmm. The investigation began right away. Both girls had had duct tape residue on their mouths or around their hands, But the duct tape had been removed and taken with the killer. Okay. Leaving no DNA behind. There was dish soap and a towel next to Christie's body where the killer had used that to clean her off. In the back of the apartment where the sliding glass door was, investigators found that that door had been tampered with, which that's how they believe the killer got in. All right. And they believed it was done with something like a screwdriver. (sighs) The medical examiner, Dr. Hamilton, stated to investigators that this looked like the work of a, quote, Bundy-style serial killer. Oh, my gosh. I was going to bring him up, and I kept biting my tongue. And even warned them that there could be more victims. This guy would not be satisfied, and he would keep looking. Sure enough, about eight hours later, police were called to another homicide. Krista Hoyt was an aspiring police officer. Ever since she was little, she wanted to be a police officer. She was working part-time as a clerk with the sheriff's office for the midnight shift, attending classes during the day at Santa Fe Community College. She was a very happy person, and her stepmom, who was interviewed on the 2020 episode, The Devil in Gainesville, stated that Krista's face just glowed. Krista did not show up for work, which was very out of character for her. Two officers were called out to her apartment to check on her. The one officer arrived a little earlier than the other and decided to walk around the apartment. In the back, he noticed that the back sliding glass door looked to have been tampered with. Oh, no. 
The blinds hanging over the door were messed up at the bottom, leaving a little bit of space for him to look into the apartment. Mm -hmm. He got down on his hands and knees, looked in, and discovered a horrible sight. Now, Krista's crime scene was probably the most gruesome. She had been stabbed to death and raped. Her body was also found naked in a lewd position on her bed. What makes it worse is that she had actually been decapitated. Oh, geez. Her head was on a bookshelf, being the first thing officers would have seen when they walked in. Oh, geez. I mean, these crime scenes absolutely traumatized these officers. This guy is doing it for dramatic effect. I mean, he he's... Exactly. He's, he's exactly. positioning everything. Mm-hmm. Another similarity the officers found was that she too had had her hands taped and the killer had taken the duct tape with him when he mm-hmm. left. There were a few factors that tied the three murders together. One being at the back door with how the killer got in, the mm-hmm. duct tape like I just mentioned. They had all been stabbed, raped, and mutilated. They were all posed. There was officially a serial killer on the loose in Gainesville, Florida. And, and how terrible because this is within eight hours. Yeah. Three yeah. women. And he's breaking into their apartments. Their like, safety Their safe zone. space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A time of excitement with all these students coming back to the area in car loads. Police are overwhelmed with this case now. Who is this man? How are they going to stop him? Like I mentioned before, Gainesville is surrounded by this lush forest. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to realize like these apartment complexes are surrounded by these lush forests. He was like sneaking around in these oh. in the woods hiding while they worked to acquire a larger task force. And while they were testing the crime scenes for any sort of evidence and DNA, crimes just don't stop. But a lot of crimes had to be put on the back burner so they could process these crimes, like these mm-hmm. more serious crimes, like a bank robbery happened in a ba- I mean, a bank was robbed in with two men in ski masks. They had the cashier fill the bags of cash and they'd gotten away. I mean, cops <laughs> were just busy. busy. I mean, eventually the men's campsite and I believe one of the men was arrested in the thick woods of the campus. The one guy being thrown in jail and then like all of their items in their campsite just like stored in a storage unit. But like the cops can't waste time with this. They have an active serial killer. Mm -hmm. And who knows when he's going to strike again. Exactly. And it's obviously, yeah, there's no time limit to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hours later. Like it's not days. The media gets a hit of this and starts going crazy. Students are terrified. A lot of them are even heading home because they're just so scared. A lot of girls are like piling as many women into their dorm room or their apartment as possible. I mean, the three girls had all been petite and brunette. Was this another Bundy type killer? No one felt safe. I mean, these girls were killed in the safety of their own homes. A young girl named Lisa was watching the terrible news unfold and called her friend that had just left for Gainesville, Tracy Pauls. Lisa warns Tracy of the situation and tells her friend to be safe, but enjoy her first day of college the next day and to call her after classes. That next day, the call never came. Oh, no. Tracy Pauls had just moved in that weekend with her friend, Manuel, he goes by Manny, Taboda. 
A lot of people assumed they were dating, but they were just really good friends. Manny was a big guy. He was a football player. They knew each other from high school, and they were just really good friends. Mm -hmm. Now, when Tracy never called Lisa that day, Lisa had another friend in the area go and check on Tracy. While on the phone with a friend, when they were going into the apartment, screaming ensued. Oh, no. The bodies of both Tracy and Manny were discovered. Manny, too. Oh, wow. Investigators believe a screwdriver was used again to gain access into the apartment. Once in, the perpetrator attacked sleeping Manny. A fight had ensued between the two men, but eventually Manny was stabbed to death. Tracy, probably awakened from the fight, ran back into her bedroom trying to lock the guy out. Mm -hmm. He eventually broke through, stabbing and raping Tracy. Mm. Again, all crime scenes held the same similarities with duct tape, the ways of attack, tampering of the back doors, and also they were surround this apartment was also surrounded by thick woods, making it easy for the killer to literally stalk and sneak in and out undetected. He must be watching them too. I mean, he knows who he's whose apartment he's breaking into, it sounds like. Because he killed Manny first. It mm-hmm. could just be a coincidence, but okay. In just three days, five students had been killed. I think as a parent, I would have called you and said, um, come home. Yeah, I, I don't even think you would have had to call me. I would have been gone. <laughs> that would, oh, that would have been terrifying. The National Guard, state troopers, and the FBI, and the media stormed Gainesville. An FBI profiler on the case believed that the killer was trying to send a message in a way in the way he was posing the bodies and the crime scenes. The message was that he was in control and he was challenging law enforcement. Mm. The way these women were being found in the crime scenes scared law enforcement for years, many of them stating that they are still haunted by the images of these crime scenes. The killer had left them in that state for a shock value, mm-hmm. and it, it worked. There were a lot of leaks to the media, which made the cases really hard. Like we've talked about before, but police want to keep a few details to themselves away from the public so that they can catch the bad right. guy. But someone was leaking things to the public and to Ugh. the media. And facts like that Krista had been gutted and decapitated were being shared on the news. And her family didn't even know this, but they had to hear it on TV. On the news. Oh. Tips were coming in from all over about guys sneaking in the woods or this guy didn't make me feel right or that guy gave me the creeps. Sure. One tip was very promising for police. Ed Humphrey. He had only recently been put in jail and the murders had stopped when he was put in jail. He had gone to jail for domestic assault. He literally beat his grandmother his grandmother jeez yes now his image was put on the media because they were like he was the suspect he was Mm -hmm. named the suspect so his image was put on the media and his image is really scary he had just been in a terrible car accident and so his face is just covered in these horrible scars oh Uh, He was a freshman at the University of Florida, and he suffered with bipolar disorder and had recently stopped taking his meds. Of course. He was super suspicious because he loved to sneak around in the woods. He would dress in camouflage, and he was known to carry knives. And he was probably pretty odd. Yeah. Yeah, probably. 
The 18-year-old was interrogated for hours. Many were interviewed and stated that, yeah, he made me really nervous. There was a $1 million bond placed on his release because police were just absolutely sure this was the guy. Right. So things had started to get back to normal on campus. Students start to come back. You know, they finally had a football game that weekend. Hey, we've got our guy. We're we're good. Yeah, things are starting to get back to normal. But the media is still covering this case because it was, I mean, it was huge. And one day, Cindy Dobbins was watching the news. She was on vacation with her husband and two sons enjoying the beach in Florida. The family were from Shreveport, Louisiana. The cases of the five students being killed was all over the news there in Florida. And all the details were seeming very familiar to Cindy. Just months before in their hometown of Shreveport, there had been a very similar case. 55-year-old William Grissom, his 24-year-old daughter Julie, and his 8-year-old grandson Sean had all been brutally murdered. Oh. Much like the Gainesville student cases, Julie had been raped and mutilated. Cindy remembered watching the news, nudging her husband and saying, you know, there's a connection between Florida and Shreveport. Danny Rowling. Danny Rowling, a man who Cindy and her husband had met through church, but he started to make both of them uncomfortable, so they had distanced themselves from him. What did he do that made them feel uncomfortable, you ask? Yes, I do. One day when Danny was over at Cindy and her husband's house, he told Cindy's husband that he had a problem. He liked to stick knives into people. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's not funny. It's just... Hi, Beth. I have a problem. I like to stick knives into people. That is like that is so scary. It's sick. I mean, it's just like, and he knew he had a problem, though. Danny was known around the neighborhood as Rambo by the kids. He would run around in camouflage carrying a log on his shoulders. <laughs> Wait, I've got a, I've got a question, though. Well, maybe you'll explain this later. How does he know he likes to put knives into people? How does he know that this is a problem? Well, he probably had already done that Shreveport killing. Oh, you think so? Okay. Okay. I thought that happened later. All right. Yeah, I, I'm thinking he probably had already Maybe he done killed it. before that and nobody knows about it. But yeah, okay. Eh, yeah, you'll learn a little bit about him. I think he would have admitted to that. Okay. Okay. Anyway, back to my story. All of this is rushing back to Cindy as she's watching the news. So she calls the tip line that she sees scrolling across the top of the screen. Good lady. Now, the FBI has something called VICAP, Violent Criminal Apprehension Program. This analyzes serial violent and sexual crimes. So basically, when one of these kind of crimes happens, they input all the details into this system. Mm-hmm. And if there's ever something similar that's reported elsewhere, oh, it's alerted as a match. Okay. Okay. And sure enough, there was a hit. An FBI agent was sent to look at the crime files of the Shreveport, Louisiana case. Wow. The Grissom family murders were horrible and haunting to the Shreveport area. The little boy's parents had just been married and were away celebrating their honeymoon. He was staying with his grandfather and his aunt, and they had just celebrated the little boy's birthday. Oh. The murders happened on November 4th, 1989, as the family was eating their dinner, just about nine months before the students would be murdered in Gainesville. Jeez. 
There were terrible, gruesome similarities in the killings, how the women were staged on their beds, how a towel with a cleaning material was found by Julie Grissom's feet, and how duct tape was used to bind the three Grissom family members and then taken with the killer. This all seemed like a match. So they're not looking at this point. They're not looking at Danny rolling. They're just looking that, wow, there's now at the a, crime scene. Another crime that fits in the serial killer's I gotcha. mm-hmm. path. And they still have Ed Humphrey in custody. But what is Ed Humphrey's tie to Shreveport? That's right. what they're trying to figure out. And remember, physical evidence was just starting like DNA. This is 1990. So DNA evidence is such a new thing. So at this time, the easiest way to eliminate suspects was by their blood type. We've talked about it before, but this perpetrator was a secretor, which means that in the bodily fluids, it also has their blood type. So their saliva, their semen, all of that will have their blood type in it. Mm-hmm. And the perpetrator was a secretor. So they could get the blood type from the student's murders mm-hmm. because he had raped the women. And that came back as type B. The killer in Shreveport had bitten Julie. So they could test mm-hmm. that. And that killer came back as type B. Okay. Ed Humphrey's blood type came back type A. Okay. So he couldn't have been their guy. I feel sorry for him. Yeah, his story is terribly sad. I mean, yes, I know he beat his grandmother. I, I'm not justifying that in any way, shape, or form. You know, he, he was sick and he needed help. And she didn't even want to press charges. He was at, off his meds. It he was, probably was a bit schizophrenic also. And yeah. He was just... And then the whole country was attacking him and calling him the Gainesville Ripper. I mean, his bond was placed at a million dollars. Right. He really fell victim to all of this as well. Mm-hmm. Now, who's this guy that Cindy had called in about? Danny Rowling. He had actually just been arrested for robbing a Winn-Dixie a bit south of Gainesville. Oh. A little over a week after the last body had been discovered. Mm. He had previously been in the military, so they could check his blood type through that. And he was type, type B. B. Is this their match? Danny Rowling had quite the criminal history and had been in and out of jail for robberies. Well, crap. What about that bank robbery that happened around the time of the murders in Gainesville? Oh, no. Remember that campsite where they threw all the evidence in a storage locker at the police station? Yes. Well, they went and checked all of those items out. Packed away in evidence bags in the storage locker they discovered three months ago. Yes. When the... Murders just started happening. They discovered there was a screwdriver as well as a cassette player with a tape inside. Okay. The tape was a diary of sorts with Danny rolling, talking love and apologies to his mother and father, singing country songs about heartache and outlaws. And the tape ended with Danny saying, quote, I let you down. I'm sorry for that. Well, I'm going to sign off for a little bit. I got something I got to do, unquote. That cassette player had sat in that locker for three months. Danny Rowling was named the prime suspect. He's He's been arrested, right, for another robbery at Winn-Dixie? Mm-hmm. Now, Danny Rowling is the epitome of a serial killer. And when I say that, I guess I mean he's a control freak in the way that he wants to be caught. 
Okay. It's a ridiculous game that he ends up playing with investigators, but he's like refusing to admit to investigators anything. And he is actually in the highest security prison in Florida. And he meets this inmate, Bobby Lewis. And Bobby Lewis was actually a convicted murderer and was the only inmate to ever escape death row in Florida. Like he escaped prison. Oh, but they caught him and brought him back. So Danny meets this guy in prison and oh, this guy is ridiculous. So he won't confess to the murders of the Gainesville students to the police. Okay. But whenever there's an interview between police and Danny, he brings Bobby Lewis with him. And has Bobby shared the details of the confession? What? It's really weird because like the police ask a question and Bobby Lewis will answer. But if he doesn't know the answer, Danny will literally lean forward, whispered into Bobby's ear. And then Bobby would share the answer to police. What the heck? Through this ridiculous game of phone tag, he does admit to the killings of the five Gainesville students. Jeez. And he has details that, you know, the police had known. and But they're coming out of the mo- mouth of Lewis. <sighs> yes. <laughs> I just, I still don't understand it. While in prison, Danny also reached out to a writer, Sandra London, and he asked her to write a book with him. Mm-hmm. To share his story. Why did they do this? Anyway, go ahead. Now, this story he shared with her was filled with horrific things. This man's life was astounding. And it's the story that the defense will eventually use in trial. I'm not going to go into all of it because at the end of the day, and and maybe this is just my personal belief, but he went through a lot of traumas. If what he states is true, he went through a lot of stuff. Starting from six months, like the stories I read and heard gut wrenching, but they're really, I I just, I don't see that as an excuse to kill eight human beings. Innocent people that have nothing to do with your, I I mean, those eight souls were taken way too early and in such gruesome, disgusting ways. It makes me so mad that, oh, the, oh, woe was me card is played. Like I just. It was very infuriating because I was listening to the book he wrote with Sandra London. I was listening to it. And you do. You're just you. You feel for this guy. But then you have to back up and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like this should not justify anything. No, no. It's very sad that Danny was abused terribly by his father. His father, James Rowling, was actually a police officer. Oh, no. And the curse in this family and the trauma in this family I mean, it started way back when, when James was a little boy. So Danny's dad, James, when he was a little boy and he was sitting at the dinner table with his family, his grandfather stood up, grabbed a butcher's knife and sawed off his grandmother's head. What did you just say? Mm -hmm. Right in front of the child? Little James witnessed his grandfather sawing off his grandmother's head right in front of him. And he would use this as a threat to his family, his wife and his two sons all the time. Oh, you think this is bad? You have to remember, I watched my grandfather cut my grandmother's head off. Oh, my gosh. They say it goes in cycles. So Danny had a brother and his brother and his mother, Claudia. They were all just terribly abused. And Claudia would take the two boys and leave James. But she always seemed to come back. Mm hmm. 
The author I mentioned, Sandra London, actually ended up being engaged to Danny. <laughs> and I'm Danny, it, it becomes very comedic. Is that a word? It becomes just, it's almost Shakespearean to me, just how crazy all of it gets. So they become engaged and it's crazy because one of her, his, one of his courtroom appearances, she's there. She becomes like a spokesperson for him. And if anybody wants to talk to him, they have to go through her. Well, he lost Lewis in the jail cell. So he has to her now. (laughs) Yeah. So they're in this court hearing and she's there. And he stands up and he says, Judge, I have a few things I'd like to say. And he turns around and he starts singing this country song to Sandra <laughs> about how he loves her and all this kind of stuff. And the judge is like banging his gavel and saying, like, sit down, sit down. Like, and everybody's like, sit down. And he just keeps singing. He sings the whole song. See, I knew I started this episode singing. Oh my God. <laughs> that's creepy. <laughs> I watched this show called Scream, the True Story on Discovery Plus, and it was pretty good. It was a paranormal show, actually. I saw that. I didn't watch it, but I saw it, yeah. With Steve Shippey, Mm -hmm. and he's a paranormal investigator, and he brings in this psychic medium, and they do an investigation of Danny's childhood home, as well as the woods where his campsite was found, where he was Mm -hmm. camping during the murders. Uh Uh-huh. The paranormal portion of this episode, is it's really, really scary. And maybe sometime I'll have to do a little episode on it. But what was cool was that Sandra London was interviewed for that documentary. Oh, okay. You know, she talks about how she challenged him and because he was really religious and would always talk about how religious he was. And she would always challenge him with like, you keep speaking about God and your religion, but where was your religion then? When you kill people. But she talks to Steve Shippey about the abuse that Danny went through as a boy. Uh, Like I said, I'm not going to talk about all of it because it's it's pretty rough. Um, But one example was that on a hot 100 degree day, Danny was handcuffed to a pole outside by his father and was left there. Danny's aunt called to report this to the chief of police. And the response she got was, oh, that's Officer Rowling. He's a fine officer, and we don't want to do anything that would embarrass him. So this kid is handcuffed to a pole, and nobody's going to do anything because he probably deserved it, right? And the way Sandra put it, as a little boy, Danny would walk the streets, looking inside people's happy homes, imagining a happy family life. As he got older, he would go into those homes, and he would just go in there, and he liked to be there without them knowing he was there. Uh Then as he grew older, it became a sexual perversion. Mm. All of this came out during the trial, all of his dad's abuse and all this kind of stuff. And another thing that came out of the trial was just how menacing and manipulative this man was. Like I mentioned before, Krista, the beautiful aspiring police officer with a glowing face. Uh Her crime scene was the most gruesome. After he left her apartment, after the murder... And went back to his campsite. He actually believed that he had dropped his wallet at the crime scene. This freaked him out. So he went back to her apartment. Upon walking in, he didn't get that crazy shock factor that he had originally wanted. And that's when he decapitated her. 
placing her head on a shelf, turning it to face down on her own body. Oh, jeez. This man was a monster. He was sick. He was very sick. Danny Rowling was found guilty. But then, of course, there's another trial if he's going to get the death penalty or not. Mm -hmm. And this is when the defense really drove home the fact that Danny was abused as a child. Things got so bad in the Rowling household that Danny and his father had actually gotten into a fight with guns. Danny ended up shooting his father in the head between the eyes as well as in the upper abdominal area. Wow. And can you believe it? James Rowling actually survived. He lived? Mm-hmm. He did. Danny even proclaimed that he had multiple personalities. Of course. Danny was an ordinary person. But then there was a darker character, Yinad, which is Danny backwards, Y-N-N-A-D. <laughs> That's original. <laughs> This was evil Danny, who wanted to go against society. But then there was a very evil character inside of Danny. This was named Gemini. Gemini is the one that killed the Gainesville students. I mean, just listen to all of this. Listen to how dramatic the singing and the stories and everything in court and the multiple personalities. Like, it's just, it's all so dramatic and yes his youth according to his book and his mother's testimony was awful but according to his ex-wife O'Mather Halker they married they were married for three years when he was like 19 yeah she came to court I think only to prove his identity she didn't come for anything else but she came to court to prove his identity and but in that she stated that the relationship that she saw between Danny and James his father was always pretty basic she never witnessed any like abuse from her his dad (laughs) and she also mentioned that he had never spoken about a yinad or a gemini before like ever also just have to mention a point that the prosecution actually made in court but the movie exorcist 3 had just come out and i don't know how well you know the exorcist 3 but that demon killer also just so happened to be called gemini Okay. I know we laugh, and I don't mean to be disrespectful when we do laugh. It's just we're laughing at just how ridiculous it all is. Totally. It's just absolutely stupid, the crap that this guy tried to pull and then blame it all on his growing up. And like I said, it sounds like it was terrible, but then he just made such a show of everything. Mm -hmm. And I really just don't think any of it is an excuse to take eight people's lives. Well, you have to wonder, I mean... I'm sure it was traumatic, but is all of it true? Mm-hmm. You know, is all oh, of it, that childhood true? This guy sounds like such a showman that... Uh-huh. I don't know. March 24th, 1994, the jury issued Danny Rowling the death penalty, and his execution was on October 25th, 2000... It says 2026. It definitely isn't 2026. <laughs> I think it was 2006. Yeah. On October 25th, 2006, he handed his pastor a handwritten note admitting to the Shreveport murders at his execution. So the trial was just for the Gainesville students. I was wondering why you hadn't uh, mentioned them. Okay. Yeah, the trial was just for the students' murders. He never admitted to the Shreveport murders until then. He gave his pastor a handwritten note. Then he was put to death. The room was filled with a crowd of the victims' families. I mean, there was tons of people there. There were no last words, 
necessarily only a gospel songs chorus that he sang over and over and over. Oh, boy. None greater than thee, O Lord, none greater than thee. Over and over. There was no remorse shown, just a song. Hmm. No matter what you want to believe, that there's some evil personality disorder of a demon Gemini that took over him or his terrible youth that gave him no choice in his actions. The fact is that eight lives were taken. William Grissom, Julie Grissom, Sean Grissom, Christina Powell, Krista Hoyt, Sonia Larson, Manuel Tabata, and Tracy Pauls. Huh. Well, that was sobering. <laughs> awful, 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 awful. And uh, much, much worse than the Scream movies, I think. There's a bunch of documentaries. Um, I think what I would recommend is the 2020 episode. Okay. Episode, it was season 43, episode 21. So it just aired less than a year ago. It was called The Devil in Gainesville. Okay. I highly recommend the 2020 episode. It it interviewed a lot of family members and it told the story very well. There is There are several documentaries that are out there, though. That Steve Shippey one, Scream the True Story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That one was more paranormal. Paranormal. That's why I saw it under, yeah. They got a lot of demonic activity in well, what they claimed to be demonic in his childhood home. And oh. it was really fascinating knowing the crime itself, but like there's still the bullet hole in the kitchen cabinets where when he shot his dad. Oh my gosh. And the woman that lives there it was just really bizarre but she's like very monotone <laughs> walking around her house and she's like my husband's nipples get pulled while he's laying in bed <laughs> she's naming <laughs> it's oh she's God. very monotone and she's just like listing all these like really scary paranormal things and like she had at one point had had an in-home daycare and the oh. children would say that there's a ghost in that room. There's a bad guy in that room. Oh. It had been the master bedroom at the time. And, you know, Steve Shippey and they really kind of go with the whole he was taken over by a demon account. Oh, okay, of course. But they do get a lot of EVPs that kind of justified that. Like Gemini came through a couple times. Demon came through a couple times. Now, if this is... Danny Rowling haunting this house why wouldn't he still take that caricature and play that sure. part still especially if someone's that, feeding off of it yeah to keep that drama so and the psychic kept saying like the whole time she's like I'm just being so messed with she didn't know what to believe she kept saying I'm being so messed with. I don't know if this is a real demon that had taken over Danny or if this is Danny being Pretending. mimicking a demon. She's like, I am being so messed with right now. Oh, that's interesting. It was really interesting. And, and there it was pretty creepy. And they have this Catholic exorcism guy or Catholic demonologist come in and do an exorcism on the house. And then at the very end, the monotone woman <laughs> leaves a voicemail. Ever since you left, everything has stopped. And it's just very, she's just very straight to the point. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that was a scream, the true story. And that was on Discovery Plus. And the 2020 episode, I don't know if you guys know this, the 2020, all their episodes is on Hulu. 
dang, something else I have to get. <laughs> I know you finally just get Discovery Plus and <laughs> And it doesn't work on my TV and now I have to get Hulu. <laughs> but just a reminder, you guys, it's going to be things like this that mom and I are watching and chatting about on our Patreon. Little commercial here. Join us on Patreon where we can watch like things like the Steve Shippy episode. We're going to watch it together. And then the podcast that we released to you is us just talking about it. And we'll give you a heads up before you watch so it so that you can you'll have a week to mm-hmm. prepare and watch it ahead so of time. You can watch so it that- if you want to ahead of time or you can watch it afterwards. Yeah, we could ruin it for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well. Anyway, Mom, shake it off. I researched that one for a long time. Yeah, you did. I'm going to drink my wine and talking about paranormal, Mom, what do you got for us? Here we go. We're going to talk about a little paranormal foliage. Foliage? Foliage? Like a tree? You were talking about the woods, didn't you? Oh my gosh. Like a haunted leaf? Like what are you doing? <laughs> haunted a haunted leaf. vine? A haunted leaf. <laughs> Can you foliage. imagine a haunted leaf? <laughs> a haunted pile of leaves? That'd be really scary. <laughs> uh, we've covered haunted theaters, haunted houses, ships, hotels, even roads. This week it's a haunted tree. <laughs> Is that foliage, though, or is that a tree? Isn't foliage leaves? It could be. What did I call What could I call it this afternoon? And you were like, huh? <laughs> vegetation. Haunted there vegetation. You go. Haunted vegetation. I like that. There you go. <laughs> to be exact, this is a 150-year-old oak tree. It's located in Oak Hammock Park in Port St. Lucie. Is it named Oak Park because of the oak tree? No, there's many oak trees. Okay. (laughs) Not just the one oak tree. (laughs) This one tree, though, is called the Devil's Tree. Oh. Okay. You know me. I'm the skeptic. A haunted tree, right. (laughs) But the more I read about the history of the tree and what contributed to it being haunted, the more I kind of lean towards it <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny but you, you really leave you like pina coladas oh, yeah. <laughs> okay oh gosh okay so much evil in this one area has to beget a feeling of heaviness and sorrow let me explain on July 21st, 1972, Deputy Sheriff Gerard Schaefer abducted two female hitchhikers, drove them to the woods, and tied them to a tree at gunpoint. Fortunately for the girls, Schaefer received a call on his police radio, which forced him to leave. Holy cow, was he about to, like, hurt them? Uh, yeah. What's up with these bad cops in these episodes right now? Holy <laughs> cow. Yeah. The girls were able to free themselves and reported the incident to the police. Schaefer had not hidden his identity because he thought he was going to kill them. So he was actually fired and arrested. Well, at least they did something right. Jeez. He was sentenced to one year in prison. Oh, gosh. Two months after posting bail, 
he abducted two other female hitchhikers, 19-year-olds Colette Goodenough and Barbara Ann Wilcox. He tied them to the same tree, tortured, raped, and killed the women by hanging them from said tree's branches, then buried them in shallow graves. He would later go back to have sex with their decomposing bodies. This tree Schaefer used is the devil's tree. Now, I have to be honest here, I would and would not want to do a true crime on Schaefer. I do to give a voice to the victims, of course, which are thought to be around 17 to 20 women. Oh my gosh. And I do not because this guy really gave me the creeps. You know how some murderers just give you the internal heebie-jeebies? Oh, no, that's that's what Danny Rowling did to me. This Like the toy box killer. Remember, you asked me to yes. cover him and I was I looked into him and I stopped. And I was just like, nope, can't do it. Cannot do this. I, it's like <sighs> my inner heebie jeebie got way too ramped up, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I was just ugh. so that's what this guy kind of does to me. But maybe we should cover him sometime. No, no. Now. You know the evil that surrounds this tree. Add to that reports of satanic worshippers and other dark rituals taking place at the devil's tree, and you have a place filled with really bad juju. So is this like a, I don't know what an oak tree looks like. Is it like a regular tree? Or I'm picturing like this big gnarly looking tree with like big branches and like, well, funny, funny, because my next sentence describes the tree. (laughs) funny very funny funny okay and getting caught in the rain (laughs) in the past years i think before the area actually became a city park there were several attempts to cut the tree down let me add here describe the tree i thought that was the next sentence let me add here (laughs) that this is not a scrawny tree it's huge (laughs) and the trunk is very thick okay All attempts to cut down the tree apparently failed. It said that chainsaws quit working. Oh. Teeth would fall off of the two-man saws that were used. And here's a good one. You ready for this? Maybe. The axe head popped off of the handle and flew, (gasps) splitting open the head and killing the man handling the axe. No. That's what it said. (laughs) Oh, creepy enough. I'm Googling the devil's tree and it's saying this image cannot be found. Oh, oh, yeah. See, this is like exactly what I was picturing. Mm hmm. <laughs> mm hmm. There are also reports of a priest or priests performing exorcisms at the tree, I guess to no avail because mysterious things continue to be reported. Cold spots around the tree are the number one report. Whispers have been heard with no one around, as well as screams. There are numerous reports of strange happenings in the women's bathroom. Now, I don't know why, because the bathroom wasn't even there when the women were killed. But reports of cold spots in the bathroom and even more chilling. (laughs) Cold spots, chilling. Got that? (laughs) This tree is really creepy looking, though. It is. There's just something about it. It's like exactly what you would picture a creepy tree to look like. It does. It's like very, it's got big knots on it and it's very gnarly, large branches. Yeah. And, oh, that image is creepy. That's definitely not the tree. That's something else. Ooh. 
But they don't have like a plaque or anything. It's literally just no, next no. to the walking path. You have to want to find it. It's hard mm-hmm. to find. Did you, are you looking at drawings, like sketches? No, no. I'm looking at these images. It's like right next to this path. Path, yeah. If you see drawings, those are the one drawn by Schaefer. And they're, they're creepy as hell. I'm sorry. They're, they're chilling. Drawn by who? The killer, Schaefer, that oh. killed the women. Yeah. He, he drew them? He drew it? He drew pictures of the tree and women hanging from it and yeah okay there are reports of and okay this is just creepy imagine you're in the woods yeah in a park you have to go to the restroom so you go into this women's restroom you close the door and you're sitting on the toilet right oh wow you're really painting the image for me okay (laughs) all of a sudden there's a loud bang and then they're scratching on the bathroom stall. Okay, first of all, I don't like to go use the restroom in public places, but that would be like one of my worst nightmares. And you kind of look underneath and there's nobody there. Because you're in know. your most like vulnerable, vulnerable <laughs> I know. space. And there's someone scratching on the bathroom oh, stall. Oh, that's really scary. And then you go wash your hands and there's usually a mirror, right? So you look up and there's a face behind you in the mirror Uh, and you whip around, but there's no one there. And those are the things that. that supposedly happen in that bathroom. So I visited the website trippingonlegends.com with Christopher. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually looked at their website before. It's, It's kind of fun. Yes, trippingonlegends.com. That'll be in our resources. But it's with Christopher Balzano and Natalie Christ. They explore the stories around the tree as well as the devil's tree itself. So the stories surrounding the trees and the tree. It isn't really easy to find for one thing. So I think you really have to want to go get to it. I found the description of the tree interesting. Now, this is from that website, okay? It had burn marks on the trunk where people had attempted to burn the tree down, as well as chop marks where people had tried to cut it down. That's interesting. There were also designs cut into the tree that looked like marks left from occult practices. There is a part of the tree trunk where someone had poured cement, probably in hopes of keeping the tree from rotting. So if you look at the, if you see something gray in the trunk, in the pictures, that's cement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can kind of see that in this picture of the tree with some kid, some kids just, you know, posing next to it. <laughs> some child is posing next to the devil's tree. <laughs> go on, honey, go stand next to the devil tree. Mommy's gonna take a picture. Actually, a child led, a little boy led these two these to two the people tree? the video to the tree yes. i'm wondering if that's the little boy here in this it picture. might be there is like this oh there's a boy. kid posing. probably looks yeah. like he's like eight years old posing with the tree yeah on yeah. that tripping website it, that tree's enormous though with that kid standing next to it it is and they do have pictures close up of the chop marks and everything uh-huh. that's so fascinating yep Oof. Christopher described the tree's branches as a, quote, collection of mangled arms and fingers, most pointing down instead of towards the sun. I continue oh. the quote with, we were also struck with how many of the ends of the branches look like devil's horns, 
end of quote. Ooh. Are you seeing it? Yeah, I'm just scrolling these pictures. That's creepy for sure. He also said that as he sat with his back against the tree, he felt a great sense of uneasiness. Uh, Was this his mind playing tricks, or is there a dark residual force surrounding the tree? He and Natalie did something at the end of their investigation that one should probably never do. (gasps) Did they do a Ouija board? No, no. They took a piece of bark from the tree. Oh, that's worse. Yep. Coincidence or not... This was not a smart move. As soon as they got into their car and turned the ignition, the car started clanking and sputtering. Wanting to stop for the night, they found that every hotel in every city they passed through, including Orlando, had no vacancy. My gosh. So they had to keep driving. Must have been like spring break or something. (laughs) When... When they stopped for fuel, Christopher decided to just get rid of the piece of bark. He said, it literally jumped from my hand into the garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, poor, the poor garbage truck driver oh that picks gosh. up. Oh my gosh, and then it just like curses like everybody going. it touches. I yeah. know. At least burn it or something. Jeez. Like I said, I'm not totally convinced that this tree and the surrounding area is haunted, but strange things have been reported and horrible murders did take place there. So I think that in itself would spook me out if I went there just knowing that a murder had occurred there and then at least three people died there. No, the at two least women two and then the guy who tried to chop it down. <laughs> That poor guy. I can't I overlook him, Mom. I can't. Poor Saw Man got totally. No, he's an Axe Man. Oh, po- oh, Axe Man. Even better name. Poor axe guy. Man got an axe right through the head. Don't forget Axe Guy. That sucks. If that's true, I don't know. That's not. <laughs> Debbie Downer over there. <laughs> uh, I don't this kind of reminded me of the remember the Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts that I covered? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the end of the triangle is the uh, Freetown State Park or forest. I remember there yeah, I remember. was also a tree. Well, actually there's a whole a whole forest? section, I guess. <laughs> a whole horde of trees. No, a whole section where satanic worship and stuff is taking place and then there's that sad story of the 15 year old Mary Lou Aruda who was abducted and then tied to the tree remember that so, yes I do but um yes so this devil's tree I just think it's spooky that so many people have tried to apparently have tried to chop it down and couldn't do it well if you look at the size of that dang thing it would probably take the yeah. Teeth no axe off of, is gonna take that down. No, and they definitely and this, needed a two-man saw thing. Of course, that's gonna rip the teeth out. When you cut a tree down, don't you need to start like at the top and start taking like the branches down first, and then go for the trunk? I would think a tree that big. I don't know. I'm not a. An... Why don't we ask Tom? He's the one that's always in the trees, cutting limbs down, cutting them down so you can see the sunset. <laughs> Mom, Mom's like. Oh, we have a party. You know, we got to get ready for everybody coming over for the party. And Tom's in a tree cutting down <laughs> limbs. It's the only time the limbs get cut down. <laughs> um, love you, Tom. All right. Well, yeah, that's really spooky. It's 
it's kind of weird, just kind of weird. You know, I have to, I, I might talk about this later, but um, since I just got back from Hawaii and I did a little bit of looking into Hawaii, like culture and the hauntings in Hawaii, they say that you are not to take a rock from the island of Maui. Why? Because uh, the Hawaiian people back in the history, well, probably even now, but back in history, they felt very connected to the land and mm-hmm. every, everything was part of that land. And so the rock, you know, the the water, everything worked together. So if you took a piece of rock, especially like from the volcano, so volcanic rock, which there's plenty of, we, we walked through the volcano, volcanic um, field uh, when I was there in Maui. It was very interesting. And I was actually tempted to pick one up. And then I thought, no, I better not. That was before I knew the story. But they say that if you take a rock from the island, bad things will happen to you. My question is, what if you take sand from the island? Isn't that just a bunch of little rocks? Well, that was my question, too, and there was no answer to it because I know my shoes all (laughs) right now. I mean, my tennis shoes have sand in them, okay? I I was literally just going to say, because you unintentionally took sand home with you, I'm sure. But like, I know my my girlfriend, Billy, has like, she collects sand from places and beaches that she goes and she has them on her. She has them like near her mantle on the bookshelf there of like all the different places and she's labeled it. I think she has some from Maui. I don't know about the so sand. So what's okay? supposed? Well, okay, but what's supposed to happen if you take a rock from Maui? Okay, true. This is a true story. If you take a rock from Maui, supposedly bad luck will happen to you. Will come upon you. This this part is a true story. Every year, Maui Post Office gets thousands of pounds of rocks sent back to the island. Are you serious? Yes. No. Yes, I am serious. <laughs> Yep, that was from the tour guide on the tour that I took. She said that a friend of hers is actually works at the post office and hundreds, sometimes thousands a year, pounds of rocks get returned to the island. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I'm thinking, okay, do you know how expensive it is to send a package to oh Hawaii? Gosh. These that's people must really want to get rid rid of these rocks. Okay, that's where your logical brain goes. You know how expensive it is to ship a package, <laughs> to ship a rock back to Hawaii. <laughs> oh wow, fascinating. I know, I know, but I I do. I was talking to our friends in Hawaii. I said, you know. I don't know if there's anything to it, but last time we were here, we were walking a beach with them and I saw some really pretty coral and it had been washed up on the beach and dried out. I took it home. It's sitting on my on my dresser in my room because I love coral anyway. And it was, what, four months after that, I was diagnosed with cancer. Mom, you <laughs> cannot say, oh my gosh. So I don't know. Well, you better go figure out how expensive those stamps are to send that back. I'll just take it back with me next time I go. <laughs> Jeez. Now, the curse is over, man. I broke the curse. There's nothing else I can yeah. Throw that sucker back in the ocean. No, Get there was nothing to do with coral. It was all rocks for some reason. So the bark thing is kind of like, hmm, don't know. Don't know. Is it a coincidence or not? I think he should have burned it. I'm with you. He should never have thrown it in the trash can. No. 
A tree's <laughs> definitely got its roots into something. That's creepy. Creepy, creepy, creepy. All righty. Well, another creepy, interesting, fascinating, infuriating, creepy episode, Mom. <laughs> I thought you were going to keep going. I was just going to sit back and just listen to you ramble on. <laughs> I can't think of any more synonyms for this episode. I'm uh, that was a large glass of wine and oh these kids are driving me crazy. <laughs> oh. I piled them in their coats and gloves and hats and said go outside. <laughs> Please go play outside for like 40 minutes. They just have so much pent up energy. I feel so bad for teachers right now. And I can't even say spring break is around the corner because just got back from Christmas break, so. <sighs> Spring break is around the corner. Spring break is in a month for us, and I am so looking forward to it. Yeah. <sighs> All right, Mama. Well, my computer just alerted me that it's running low on battery. Needs to be plugged in. All right. So Perfect timing. I'm running low on battery myself. Where can they find us? They can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can also find the sources we used for this episode on KillerHangoverPodcast.com where you can find a way to message us, get in touch with us, send us your stories, your recommendations. Yes, your recommendations like Abigail did last week. And sign up to be a patron. Yes, and sign up for Patreon. We're going to have we're having a lot of fun with the weekly episode on there. So, you'll get two episodes. You get to hear from us twice a week. What the heck? <laughs> oh boy. And if you're curious what that $5 is going to go towards, it goes towards all of our podcasting equipment, the booze that we're drinking to entertain you, and you know, travel. Mom has to come and record with me and keep your eyes peeled because that money might be also going towards a live event. We will be posting on our social media more about that soon. Yeah, pretty excited. Well, cheers, mama. Lots of good things to come in 2022. Cheers. Love you, kid.